0: If you would please turn in your bibles to psalm 22. We continue to work our way through the ancient song book of Israel, 150 psalms that were originally penned and collected over a great deal of time so that this could become the inspired Song Book of Israel. In the brief time that we have tonight, I want us to focus upon some of the statements of Jesus, the Christ, while he was upon the cross. If you want to know what Jesus was thinking about while he was on that cross, at least in part, the place to go in order to know this is Psalm 22. Psalm 22. It serves as a divine commentary upon what Jesus was thinking when he died to save sinners like us. It's also a divine commentary upon the events surrounding his work on the cross. For this psalm also speaks about certain things that others were thinking or doing while Jesus was dying. This psalm must go far beyond who we assume is the human author, King David, because the text declares that it is a psalm of David. But it goes much further than that, because while David had his own personal experiences of God-forsakenness, this psalm, the totality of it, and particularly the words that Jesus utters on the cross go far more than David's own experience itself, far more. Derek Kidner, one of the great commentators on the book of Psalms, says this, No incident, referring to Psalm 22, no incident recorded of David can even begin to account for this. The language of the psalm defies a naturalistic explanation. The best account is in the terms used by Peter concerning another psalm of David, being therefore a prophet, he foresaw and spoke of the Christ. And so that's what David is doing. He is speaking about his own experience, but he's speaking about far more than that. He's a prophet, is David, not just a king. And he foresaw through the Spirit's illumination, yea, even the Spirit's inspiration to be referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Of course, David didn't know he was doing that in terms of Jesus of Nazareth, but God Himself did, the Holy Spirit did, as the author of the Word of God. Simply put, Psalm 22 seems to be, as I've said, the predominant Scripture passage upon which Jesus Himself was meditating as He was crucified. We could therefore say it was His favorite psalm As he hung on the cross. And I say it seems to be the predominant passage of Scripture for Jesus' suffering because in this psalm, Jesus clearly uses three separate sections of this psalm in which to actually utter or at least allude to three out of what we have come to call the seven sayings of the Savior on the cross. In other words, there are seven specific phrases or sayings that Jesus uttered and 3 of those 7 come from psalm 22 and even there are some allusions to what others are saying who were around the crucifixion event and there are 4 of those from psalm 22 so this is this is a major psalm uh, what we would call a major messianic psalm and it becomes a monumental biblical text for us as Christians as we contemplate what Jesus was thinking when he was quite literally dying, giving his life for us. Indeed, all of the Psalms should be beloved by us Christians, but particularly this one. And uh, I want us to see it in bold relief. In fact, when you put the Psalms and the Gospels together, you have a powerful sense of both the thinking and the actions of Jesus on the cross. And Psalm 22, I think helps capture his thinking so poignantly. And regarding praying the Psalms, as we have done, praying them back to the Lord, listen to James Sire in his book, Praying the Psalms of Jesus. He says, It is not hard to imagine Jesus, his mind and heart, saturated with the words and thoughts of the Psalms, going off alone early in the morning to pray. How often must he have mouthed the words of the Psalms and given them a fulfillment that none had ever given them before or would ever give again. They became, that is the Psalms, his answering speech to his heavenly Father. So if the Psalms became the answering speech of Jesus to the heavenly Father, how much more should they become our answering speech to the heavenly Father? That's why we pray them back to the Lord. So with this in mind, let's look ever so quickly, I wish we had more time, but we don't, at the three direct statements of Jesus and then some clear allusions in Psalm 22. Let's look at the first one. It is that phrase of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see it there in Psalm 22:1? 1, the very first phrase, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? This is the mysterious time when God the Father abandons His Son. That is, He turns His face away so that the full fury of the wrath of God would be poured out on the Lord Jesus where Jesus at that moment, at that time, at that instance, is bearing the full weight of the sin of everyone who would ever believe. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's in April, the Jewish month of Nisan. And Jesus, in sunny daylight, is hanging on that cross desolate, abandoned. He's... Alone. And when he dies, the land becomes dark, full of darkness. As John Stott says, our sins blotted out the sunshine of his father's face. But listen to what were doubtless other areas in his heart that Jesus was meditating upon in Psalm 22 before he dies. The psalmist takes an almost prayerful interlude in verses 3 to 5, as if to say it wasn't always this way. Verse 3, Psalm 22, Yet you are holy, enthroned, or inhabited with the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But of course we know right at this moment with Jesus on the cross that abandonment is real. Yes, it's true that the Jewish Fathers trusted Yahweh, and He had delivered them. They cried and were rescued. They trusted and were not put to shame. And of course, we know that even though Jesus was hanging on that cross, abandoned by the Father in an instant, was not ultimately abandoned. He was not eternally abandoned. But at this moment, He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22.1. Secondly, he also said on that cross, I thirst, I thirst. Even though another statement of Jesus, I thirst, is taken directly from Psalm 69.21, I think we can see an obvious allusion about Christ's Scorching thirst here in Psalm 22. Look at verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me In the dust of death. This must have been in the heart of Christ as he was on the cross in this darkened, desolate hour. The Apostle John said it this way in John 19 28. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Psalm 69 21. But I think Psalm 22 verses 14 and 15 records maybe the thinking behind the statement. This is what was going on in his heart. He felt like he was being poured out like water. All of his bones out of joint. Maybe even in in some sense quite literally happening as it was so difficult for him to breathe. You know that on that cross there was a little bit of a seat behind Jesus, so that as he sat there, at least momentarily, trying to gain his breath, his feet were, of course, nailed to the cross, and his hands were such that the only time that he could breathe was by lifting up through his arms his entire body so that his diaphragm would be extended enough so that he could, in fact, attempt to breathe again. And then of course when his whole body was racked with pain because he couldn't continue to lift himself up he would sit back down on that little seat and then of course would be gasping for breath again crucifixion was a very terrible excruciatingly painful way to die no wonder he says here in psalm 22:15 my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws you lay me in the dust of death. The dust of death, of course, referring to the idea that Adam, the first man, was created out of the dust of the ground. And Jesus believes now that he's going back to that dust, as it were. He's going to die. And if, by the way, you look at the third statement of Jesus, it is finished. Look at verses 29 to 31 of Psalm 22. Verses 29 to 31. This has reference to this idea of it is finished. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before Him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep Himself alive. Posterity shall serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That last phrase, that he has done it. An old Hebrew translation, actually, that particular translation, happening a thousand years before the Masoretic Hebrew text, the one that we use to translate into English these words, says quite literally, it is finished. It is finished. He has done it. Psalm twenty-two, thirty-one, 31. And even, by the way, in the middle of this psalm, in the middle of the verse, we might even call it a, a hinge verse. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me. You have delivered me from the horns of the lion of the wild oxen. We don't need to just focus on the fact that Jesus was dying on that cross and that he was he was being abandoned by his Heavenly Father and that he was struggling to breathe, he was struggling to stay alive, and that God in this abandonment did not ultimately leave him there to die forever or eternally. When he says it is done, verse 21 also tells us so very, very clearly that He has been rescued. And that's the empty tomb. That's the resurrection. So this psalm, mighty in His mind. And I want you to look also at four very clear allusions. Not of Jesus Himself, but of those who were around him, both good and bad, who were saying wicked things to him. Remember the mocking soldiers? The mocking soldiers? Mark chapter 15. Turn over there. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 20. If we bring in Mark's gospel, I made an allusion a moment ago to what John said. In Mark chapter 15, to fill out all of the... Gospels and what they say. Look at chapter 15, verses 16 to 20. Mark 15, verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. That is, of course, a mocking homage, a mocking worship. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And then look over to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 36. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid him on the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And then, of course, we know that there were Two other criminals who were crucified on each side of Jesus, verse 32, they were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. This is... This is all referred to, at least in part, in Psalm 22. Look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him. For He delights in Him. Remember, that's also listed in that account of the crucifixion. All right here. Now, it's interesting to me that there are those who would want to say, oh, what a coincidence this is. But you know, and I know, it's not true. This is all in the plan. This is all in the mind and heart and will and mission of God. This is all happening, alluded to by Psalm 22, and then happening in real time in April, in that year of his death. And Jesus is alluding to these very passages. Verse 9. Psalm 22, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. You know, whether it's the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, or whether it's the Jewish leaders who jump into the fray, they're all mocking him. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. And those who passed by derided him wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him for he said, I am the son of God you see that in verse 8? Psalm 22? He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Do you think that those religious leaders had any idea what they were doing and fulfilling the prophetic words of Psalm 22? Of course not. This is, this is actually a way of affirming the sovereign hand of God, the providence of God, orchestrating every one of these events, even the very words of the mockers, even those being the fulfillment of this psalm, of the prophetic words of King David. It goes on, look at Matthew 27 44. This is what it records. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now we know, of course, that one of the men who was crucified alongside him repented of that mocking toward Jesus. And Jesus promised him redemption. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other, of course, did not repent. Luke 23, 39 says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, "'Are you not the Christ? "'Save yourself and us.'" And he was saying it in a mocking tone. The dividing of the garments, I read about that, John 19, 23 says this, "'When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, "'they took his garments, "'they divided them into four parts, "'one part for each soldier, "'also his tunic, "'but the tunic was seamless, "'woven in one piece from top to bottom.'" So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. And then John adds, this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now why would John say, and this was to fulfill the scripture? Because everything had to be exactly the way God had orchestrated it exactly the way God had planned it, even to the very fulfillment of Psalm 22, 16 to 18. The very thing. Jesus, His thoughts, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat. Over me they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Again and again, as if to signal yet another prayerful interlude into the psalm itself will end with this. Look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, think about The thoughts of the Lord Jesus on the cross. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. See that goes far beyond the original intent of that song it goes far beyond that right to the very event of the cross itself. Why don't you bow your heads together with me? if indeed some if not each of these thoughts were in the mind of Jesus. We know that they, at least in part, mirrored what His soul must have been going through. And this psalm, Psalm 22, therefore becomes so precious to us. So precious to us. One writer says it this way, For there is not an emotion of which one may become conscious that is not represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, In short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. It is by perusing those inspired compositions, referring to Psalm 22, that men will be most effectually awakened to a sense of their maladies and at the same time instructed in seeking remedies for their cure. In a word, whatever may serve to encourage us when we are about to pray to God is taught to us in this book, the book of Psalms. Father, as we come tonight to, to pray, so many of us, myself included, have hopes and dreams and aspirations. Questions, concerns, maybe even sicknesses, maladies, maybe misunderstood by some, maybe even mocked by others. And all we can do is go to you like Jesus did when he went to his heavenly Father and cry out to you. In some cases, it would be crying out in the sense of the feeling of abandonment. Where are you, Lord? Why aren't you here? It seems as though you're so far away from me. Answer me when I call. Minister to me in my time of need. You seem so distant. And at other times, Lord, when we sense that you're so near, we ask that you would tend to us the brokenhearted, the weak, the vacillating, the injured, the hurting. We ask, Heavenly Father, that You would come alongside us in the nearness of Your presence with hope and joy, comfort, guidance. Father, we bring our request to You and we do so through Christ because He wasn't ultimately and eternally abandoned, you did answer his prayers. He was raised from the dead. His words, it is finished. He has done it. did come to pass. And he was coronated as Lord. And we come through his cross work And by His salvation, through His death and resurrection, we come believing that You will answer our prayers. Thank You, Father, for just a brief look at Psalm 22 and for the opportunity to speak and pray, and sing, and rejoice. We do so now in that matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.